Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor at Light Reading, and we are at the NV and SDN Americas event in uh, Las Colinas. I have to keep saying Las Colinas, Texas, because we're not really in Dallas, <laughs> even though it says Dallas. I'm here with Kelsey Zeiser. Hello, Kelsey. Hello, Phil. And Mitch Wagner. Howdy, as your people say. <laughs> as my people say, that's true. <laughs> they do say howdy. Um, so we're, we're at this event where we're talking about network functions, virtualization, and software-defined networking. This is a long-standing series of uh, light reading events. We've been covering this for forever and a day, going back at least a decade, maybe more. No. The Jurassic <laughs> period, I think. Yeah. 18, 1863. Right. Oh, that's, that's right. You're right. It's, no, we've been going back to, you know, this was a, a, an NFV event by itself. Then it was then we had an SDN event. Then we combined them. Then we had an automation event. We folded that in. Then we became part of Informa. We folded in its uh, network virtualization world series. And so now we have this it's a lot of folds like it's, origami. I know it's, <laughs> it's, 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 and, and it's not a beautiful swan. It's this, it's this crazy, uh, multi-legged creature that's running amok. Yeah. No, it, the, uh, the, the reason I bring up all of that is because that's really what's happening to the network itself. Um, we have all of these different, uh, kind of, um, singular efforts that each operator is taking to improve their network and it all kind of coalesces toward the cloud and 5G. They have to sort of, they, those uh, uh, things are sort of looming large. You know, they have to get as much stuff operating and working in either cloud-like or in the cloud as possible. And they have to do it quickly because if they don't, they're not going to be able to deliver or respond to 5G services. Um, and my chair's squeaking, so that's good. Sorry. There we go. Um, the... Uh, so that's that sort of sets the table for where we're at. Um, at this show, we've heard from AT&T and a number of other uh, operators. Um, did you guys have any reaction to either, either AT&T or any of the other uh, big carriers that we've heard from? Well, my reaction was this. Uh, <laughs> Uh-oh. Right. So I thought the one, the one thing that jumps out at me right now is a comment that... Um, Josh Cadell from AT&T right. made um, that was pretty interesting where he was just in general talking about how enterprises are going to be pulling 5G rather than consumer innovation. Yeah. Uh, which really did address one of my pet peeves about 5G discussions, which it always seems to be uh, talking about imaginary technologies. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, the oh, self-driving cars, which kind of don't exist yet, and robot surgery, which is you go first, and yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, AR and VR, which I'm old enough to have been through three AR and VR revolutions at this point, and by gosh, this time when people are really going to adopt it, not like all the other times when they rejected it. But right. enterprises need to do things. Yeah. They're, do they're doing them now, and they're doing them clumsily yeah. with IoT and intelligent factories and, and, and all, all these various instruments, and 5G is going to make it a heck of a lot easier. Uh, Josh shared a lot of healthcare applications. He mentioned, I think it's Rush Medical, yeah, yep. correct? That was really um, cool. Yeah, about mapping um, patients' facial reactions to see how much pain they're in. Yeah. Um, also, giving doctors access to VR um, as an another tool that they can use. That is amazing for training purposes and stuff like that. Because yeah. what what I like about that is, you know. Uh, we're all individuals to get all artsy fartsy with you. Um, but we're, you know, uh, chemically and physically, we're all, we're all alike, but there's so many different things that some person could have when a doctor discovers something or 
happens upon an anomaly of some sort, to be able to share that as close to lifelike as possible across borders and everywhere else to say, hey, we had that, here's what it looked like, here's where we found it, here's what we did, so on and so forth. It doesn't seem like that's being done. Uh, it's being done today, but like you said, at the speed of medical journals. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this seems like it would be much more um, effective. Uh, a couple of quick things uh, I pulled from his uh, remarks. He talked about the journey that AT&T's network has had from the physical to the virtual, and then the virtual to the intelligent. Mm -hmm. And I like the fact that he makes that demarcation because virtualizing a network simply doesn't get you to where as far as you need to go to compete with web scale providers or to do things as fast as people are going to demand eventually. I want to I want to hear more from him on what he what he meant by that because what I don't know if this is what he meant but what I have been hearing from a lot of carriers is that you start out with um, virtualization sounds great but what you end up having is like a virtual appliance rather than physical appliance. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like yeah you can run on x86 boxes and that's great but you have to get the x86 box from the same vendor that supplies <laughs> you the virtual machine and the virtual machine will virtual function will only work with other virtual functions from that vendor. So same headache different hardware. Yeah. And that was another discussion this week was uh, Mike Frain with Windstream talked oh, yeah. about the economics of UCPE. Uh, so I think that ties into right. to your comment of even though it's going virtualized, are you really saving money? And then can you save money for your customers as right. well? It does. That's the thing is, is the operator has to, has to significantly um, cut down the margins and improve the, uh, the ability to scale the application or the service. If they can't, they, they A, can't meet demand, B, they're never going to make any money on this, and they're mostly still connectivity providers. He also said that their their network had grown in traffic and data traffic for 470,000 percent from 2017 yeah. to 2018. 20, I think it was 2007. It may have been 400. Okay. It was 2007 to yeah. 2018. Sorry. It's because yeah. it, that's it when been, Mitch discovered cat videos, and so it just kind yeah. of like skyrocketed. It, it may have been 407,000 rather than 470,000. But seriously, is that different? You know? yeah, right. <laughs> it's it's a it's a, a, a heck ton of a lot, as we say around here. I'm gonna yeah. need you to stay off YouTube for a while. I do, yes. For the good of the network. The, cat, the, the cats, they are, they are so cute walking across the piano, though. How can I resist? <laughs> so many cats, so many pianos. Um, we're going to get that on a t-shirt. Um, let's talk about the women in comms breakfast um, uh, the, and the, and the uh, uh, panel. Um, so first of all, uh, you had breakfast and you had a panel. There we go. I covered that. All right, next. No, I'm kidding. Um, one of the points that I pulled out of that was that, um, that, that I, I never really thought about before about f how 5G sort of affects uh, you know, women in the workplace. But there were two huge um, kind of aha moments. The first was that the companies themselves, as they become more efficient, the, the, the management structures are kind of flattening out and auto network automation that enables 5G is going to um, restructure things. And that's kind of like, uh, you know, that could make it harder or easier for women in the workplace, depending on, you know, what they decide to do and how they apply themselves and whether they make their goals known and that sort of thing. The other thing was that 5G, just the improvement in connectivity and throughput, how it just makes it just brings more of everything to everywhere. Um, that was another outstanding point because it's, we, we, uh, we all champion the idea of working from home and a lot of us work from remote offices, but to be able to truly work anywhere and not have any asset in your company uh, you know, inaccessible for any length of time is pretty amazing. Um, and also the real-time nature of it, being able to communicate better um, 
in different circumstances. I imagine some 5G apps are gonna come along that are gonna take video conferencing to some other level. Um, Anyway. Holograms, maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. Something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, we had a really interesting discussion this morning um, and, you know, talked about how 5G could support the remote workforce more just because you'd have such reliable internet and be able to do better video conferencing, maybe holograms. Who knows? <laughs> hey, I, I, I can't wait. It'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. um, there, there was those two points stu stuck out to me. Was there anything else from the, uh, uh, from the panel that, that kind of, uh, that maybe we hadn't heard? heard before or something that, that, yeah. that one thing that projected Joshi with Google Cloud was talking about is how that 5G could break down the silos within um, telcos or vendors as well and having you know network talk to IT to cloud um, and she works on both the telco and the enterprise side um, so breaking down those barriers within the organization and then also employees will have to find a way to um, you know, specialize in something, but also be good at a lot of different things because all these departments are talking to each other. Right. Uh, so we talked a bit about what soft skills would be important in addition to technical skills. And one thing Christina Chang with uh, AT&T advised the audience to do is find projects where you're going to be visible, where your success right. will be visible. Yeah, that's a, that, that, that's good advice. Um, about the, um, I think she's right uh, about uh, different jobs sort of having things added on to them or sort of becoming more uh, uh, making forcing people in the workforce to kind of be more uh, adaptable to whatever's around it I mean that happens in uh, it's happened in media you know in particular because we're we're doing this you know we we, we all started out as writers and and editors and now we're I think Mitch used to have a stone tablet my college newspaper we had like we had like manual typewriters <laughs> It was kind of retro even for then, but still. <laughs> I went to school with a guy named Manuel Typewriter, uh, Manuel Typewriter. But but we uh, we started out in one medium, and yet you know had to had to take those skills uh, and apply them to uh, you know to podcasting, to video, to holograms, or, or whatever's coming next. I'm actually not here. It's okay. <laughs> she keeps saying that. Someday I'm going to believe it. It's a, but anyway, that that. Um, uh, I, I love it when I can when I go to a, you know an event and s somebody says something that's kind of right you know right out there in the open and it just makes you go oh yeah I've never th I've never thought of the problem that way before I've never thought of the the enabling technology as being able to change things like that that's that's well, pretty cool more and more jobs these days are becoming relationship jobs right yeah a and b the skills that you learn become portable. Mm -hmm. You know, developers have a saying, you know, once they learn to program in one language, you know, they can pick up another one really, really fast because right. it's, it's just the skill. Um, yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we all, you, were, you were talking about our work as journalists. I don't know how much the metaphor applies to telco at all, but mm -hmm. um, there, was always the, there, was always the, there was always the case you had to be able to write fast. Yeah. Uh, large, large Metro dailies had 12 editions in the yeah. mid-century. <laughs> so that was much like the continuous cycle of the... Um, uh, of the web, um, very yeah. DevOps. <laughs> yeah, so but so, with people smoking around you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and armbands. And, <laughs> honey, right. get me rewrite. This is a doozy. Um, but you know, to bring it into telco, you're still whatever, whatever technology you're using, whether it be microservices or, or switches, you still have to connect people. People require connectivity. <laughs> I love that. That's a great word. A doozy. Okay, yeah. sorry.
We're back. I'm Phil Harvey. This is a light reading podcast. I'm here with Kelsey Zeiser. Hey, Phil. Here with Mitch Wagner. Oi. <laughs> that's that's high would have been fine, but Oi. thanks, Mitch. Um, so we're talking about uh, the Envy and SDN America show. We're here in uh, Las Colinas, outside of Dallas, uh, where the show is taking place. And uh, uh, our friend Ray Watson from Macergy, uh he was talking about SD WAN today, but he also talked about everything else, as, <laughs> as he as he tends to do. And uh, one of his points was to remind the audience of mostly telco people that uh, enterprises really don't care about our networks or what we're building or how difficult they are to manage, et cetera, et cetera. They care about their applications, full stop. Um, so that's a good place to talk about SD WAN because that's that's really um, there's so much going on with SD WAN and and we might tend to lose sight of really all people want to do is uh, get their connectivity and not lose their Salesforce stuff right. and that sort of thing. Um, what, but SD-WAN keeps coming up again and again at this show. Um, any insights or observations? Um, oh, sure. Thank you. Uh, John Ish uh, with Orange was back again this year, and he talked a bit about how he starts the conversation with um, customers uh, starting with security and he likes to have the security people in the room because that's a very important piece to SD-WAN. He also talked about how, uh, you know, the industry expected a lot more vendor consolidation at this point. We still have 30 vendors. Someone else today said 40. I think Ray said 72. So there's just a lot out there. Um, But John said there's been a lot of horizontal integration, which is interesting with, you know, for example, um, Cisco acquiring Viptela, those companies that have business services in their DNA um, are finding that SD-WAN is a good play for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the in, the horizontal integration is interesting because um, when Cisco, I think they this is their second or third uh, SD-WAN type purchase, and uh, each time they seem to find a different sliver of the enterprise market that they're aiming you know toward with that thing, and so it it it, it, it we quickly get away from this uh, one vendor can do it all uh, approach. It seems like it's going to be quite fragmented and quite specialized for. A number of years, right? Well, first of all, a couple points here. First of all, I think John Ish is a fantastic name. It's like, <laughs> he's not John, he's John Ish. Um, <laughs> sort of John. Yeah, sort of John. <laughs> so, and I'm sure he never hears jokes about his name, so he'll be glad to hear this one. Um, the second point uh, is that SD-WAN has evolved into the intelligent layer that's on top of all the other transports. Yeah, all the other links. So it's on top of the public internet, it's on top of MPLS, it's on top of LTE, it will be on top of 5G, and it coordinates all the connectivity together. And this is important because enterprises now have pieces all over the world and they're connecting to the cloud as well. Um, And yeah, to Ray Watson's point, this is, the telco stuff is, is, if, 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 if they're doing the jobs, it's invisible. Right. You know, enterprises don't even care about the applications, they care about getting work done. Yeah, and I think that, that, um, I, I I cringe a bit because even though that's the truth, uh, we find that telco marketing and and commercials and things like that have all these uh, network numbers and speeds and feeds yeah. and you know like look at how impressive our network is and nobody is like nobody cares. I want Netflix. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. You know, but there's the, the, there's still this sort of uh, steadfast refusal for them to to do exactly that, to just do your job and go away in the background, you know, just be good at what you do. 
John also mentioned that the conversation around SD-WAN has changed from cost savings with their customers. They were promoting, this is a way that you can save money. Uh -huh. uh, and now it's uh, just different feature sets within SD-WAN that they're marketing towards their customers. Because you've got the um, you know different security partnerships with the Fortinet's Palo Altos, yeah. things like that. And then the ability to um, you know, manage your traffic differently, have MPLS for those business critical applications, but then also have SD-WAN. Yeah, yeah, makes for a more flexible enterprise all the way around, which is what we want, right? Yeah, one, one of the telco speakers, um, and I've forgotten the name, so you can check late reading in the future to see who <laughs> it was, because it's in my notes and I'm writing it up. Um, he was saying how he had expected there to be more consolidation huh? by now. Um, <laughs> yeah. And instead, what you're seeing is horizontal integration with Cisco buying Fortella. Yeah, that was Johnish. That was Johnish. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You might have heard that from Kelsey, who said it like five minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this. I I'm a serious person here, damn it. Um, <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> and I'm freaking out. But he was saying that it, it has made it kind of more difficult to shop because oh, if you yeah. had the smaller vendors yeah. out there, still out there, they would they it would be able to to assemble the best of breed applications right. and put it together. But Cisco wants to do everything. VMware wants to do everything. Right. Yeah. And you get these vertically integrated stacks, which candidly make, it makes, he didn't say this, but I'm interpreting it, it makes it a little bit harder for the telco to stay in business. Yeah. Because why doesn't the Cisco just sell directly to the enterprise mm. or sell through the telco as a channel as opposed to the telco being the solution provider mm -hmm. and owning the relationship? I think it'll come to that eventually with connectivity. I think connectivity is going to have to be offered any way that it could re any any way that a connect connectivity oriented application reaches a customer, they might as well become a reseller, um, in, in some in some capacity. Where are you going with this? Um, well, I think I think uh, not related to this conference specifically, but um, all of the major telcos have invested huge amounts in their channel programs. They've 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 um, made it easier and more flexible and and um, uh, a little more friction free for any type of enterprise to just about to resell connectivity. And I think that that seems like a strategic bet. It doesn't seem like an accident and it doesn't seem like a defensive move either. Mm -hmm. It seems like um, once they build out their network, they're gonna wanna try to connect as many people as possible. And that means exploring as many channels as possible, you know, down the road. So the enterprise sells the connectivity to its customers? It could, anything that, that is enterprise that is an enterprise that acts like a service provider. So yeah. th think about Cisco with WebEx or something like that. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying they do that now or that they're even planning on doing it. I'm saying that the possibility exists that down the road they could simply um, uh, take a, a version of that service and say, oh, and if you buy this version, you'll have all this connectivity. You know, it comes with all the connectivity you need for your entire office plus WebEx plus the conference phone, plus the whatever. So they just take that extra step. You know, they're already riding atop the connectivity and providing everything else you want to do with it uh, for, for an enterprise and, and all the routing and all the stuff. Why, why not take that extra step? I, again, this is just me putting two and two together and getting five, so I don't know if it'll mm -hmm. actually play out that way in the market, but the pieces all seem to be in place. And like I said, all, all sides have invested a lot in channel programs, whereas, you know, five years ago, AT&T was kind of, um, uh, kind of balkanized about its channel programs. It had four or five different channel programs. They all fought with one another. They didn't work together. Now they have one big one, and it seems to 
uh, be catching on. We're back. It's the Light Reading Podcast, but we're back only long enough to say goodbye. Um, so let's wrap up. Uh, any last uh, observations or thoughts from the NV and SDN America show? The coffee could have been better. <laughs> it really could have been. Thank you for saying that. You're welcome. It could have been better and there could have been more of it. <laughs> to go ahead and cover all bases. <laughs> Uh, Mitch, anything? I'm disappointed to learn we are not in Irving, Texas, because just, <laughs> it's just a hello evening. How are you? <laughs> well, you can do that. You have to get on a, a really high floor, and you and, and you can see Irving. Hello evening. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are in Las Colinas, which is uh, kind of a made-up city, but it's it's here nonetheless. Um, it has lovely fountains and and. Uh, and, and golf courses and things like that, and terrible coffee. And geckos. It has geckos. Uh, all Texas, all of Texas has <laughs> geckos. Yeah. So anyway, we'll leave it with that. Um, from Geckoville. Uh, <laughs> this is the Light Reading Podcast. Uh, this is edited by Tian Fu in New York. And if you want the show notes and anything related to the NV and SDN Americas Conference, please go to LightReading.com. Uh, thank you and goodbye.